0: That's fun. I read it great. I read it great. No one knows now, but now everyone knows on on, on video. Well, let me pray for us, Lord. We want to we want to thank you uh, for Jason. Uh, we pray, Lord, that uh, you would just continue uh, just to lead us uh, just through your Spirit. Uh, thank you for um, how you have um, just brought us here to this moment. And uh, we just we just ask that you would continue uh, to lead and guide us and um, speak through Jason diligently. So Jesus, name we pray. Amen. Amen. Core value series, and so what we've been um, talking about is first week I preached on down, which is what we call the gospel. Uh, I remember way back in the day at the, uh, the old basement in um, Westport, uh, something that always stuck with me is Eric preached on down and he used this illustration of religion is trying to climb the mountain, right? That's what almost all religion is. Here's how to get better. What's different about down or the gospel is that God comes down the mountain, puts us on his back and carries us up the mountain, right? That, that's how that's different. Right? And so I remember Eric preached that. That's always stuck with me. Everything we do flows out of down. I preached that a few weeks ago. Last week, Eric preached on up. And really that is, so now that we've seen the gospel, we've seen that what Jesus has done for us, how do we respond to that? And the goal is not just to have a bunch of head knowledge. right? We understand the gospel theologically, but like, how does our lives change? How does our hearts change? How does our desires change? That was partly why we preached a rule of life for a while. Um, it's why we practice spiritual disciplines. Even being here this morning, right, the gathering and then being a part of city group scattering, we would look at those as ways, God's grace to us to begin to become more like Jesus. That's the goal of up. Uh, I'm preaching on in, and then next week Eric's preaching on out, which is um, mission. But this week I'm preaching on in, and that is community. All right, think about this room, this is in. Uh, you see even the logo we have a lot, right, right, down, up, in, out. I love community partly because I've experienced loneliness. Anybody ever been lonely before or just felt that? Um, as many of you know, maybe you don't know, um, I used to drive semis. So right out of college, I had a college degree. I was kind of like, I don't know what to do. Um, I'll tell you what, I'll just go see the country. So on a whim, I kind of signed up for a truck driving school and just drove around for a while, right. I always, liked, I always liked driving to work, but never liked getting there, and so I thought, I might as well just drive for a living. Um, but I did that for a while, and I only did one year of over the road, and my schedule at first was, I was gone 14 days, and I was home for a day and a half. Um, and I thought, as an introvert, I would love that, but um, there was adventure, that was part of it, but I also experienced some of the deepest pain and betrayal of my life during that year, which I preached on, like, two weeks ago. Um... I experienced deep, profound loneliness um, that I have yet to experience to this day. Like, I was wrecked during that time. Uh, I would call friends, and I started realizing that my friends started screening me after a while, because all of a sudden nobody was home, because I was hurting so bad. Like, my buddy David would be like, hey, man, what's up? We're just getting ready to sit down to dinner. And I'd be like, just put me on speakerphone. Put your phone on the table. I'm fine. Don't even talk to me. Like, I wanted to be around people that bad, and I'm an introvert. Right? I, just, I wanted to be around people so bad. But I learned in that season uh, the power of isolation, uh, feeling alone. I experienced emotional, spiritual, like relational desert. I was in that space. I needed someone, anyone. Like I needed people just to help me heal up. Um, I learned the power of friendship, relationship, and the ache, the ache for community. Whether we think we have it or not, we do. Uh, but I'm not the only one who experiences loneliness. I think we've all been there. Uh, loneliness is alive and well today. So let me just give you some stats, information around loneliness. Uh, Theresa May, she's no longer the British Prime Minister, but when she was, um, she said this far too many people, for far too many people, loneliness is the sad reality of modern life, right? Uh, and she appointed a loneliness minister, right? So in the UK, loneliness was so bad. That they created a government position to help people with loneliness. Um, A report said that 9 million people, that would have been roughly 68% of the British population at that time, said that they often or always felt alone. That's a big number, right? 68% of British people said they often or always felt alone. In Japan, there's a word called uh, kotokushi. if I'm pronouncing that right. It it really means elderly death because of loneliness, right? That they have an elderly population that the only reason why they're dying they can think of is they're just so lonely that they're dying. Um, Enough that they came up with a word for it. Uh, But that's not just a foreign problem. The U.S. Surgeon General said that loneliness is a growing health epidemic, and he compared it to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's how much loneliness actually, not just your soul, but your physical body, it takes a hit. Um, A study done a few years ago by Signal reported that over half of Americans felt lonely. Um, Some more stats. It says a little over half of Americans uh, felt like they had meaningful, daily, face-to-face interactions with someone. And that includes extended family and friends. So just a little over half. Uh, Generation Z, which would be, if you're born 97 to 2012, they're considered the loneliest generation uh, ever. Much worse than older generations. Their health is worse than older generations and they are considered the loneliest generation. Arguably though, they're the most connected generation because of technology and yet they're considered the most loneliest. Um, In the United States, more than half of the meals eaten are eaten alone. And according to psychology today, the heaviest users of social media report feeling the most lonely. So the implication is the more lonely you are, the more you're going to be connected to your phone, but it's not actually solving the problem. Is it a causation, correlation? We don't know, right? But loneliness is on the rise and it's a problem. Um, And I don't see us as a culture cutting back on social media or technology. I think we're going to keep going there. Uh, We have friends on Facebook or Instagram that we met on vacation years ago. Anybody have that person? You you met them on a beach somewhere and you become Facebook friends or Instagram friends, right? You still follow them? You know what they had for lunch? You know the awesome trip they're on right now but we don't realize that our coworker is struggling with depression and isolation and they're right there or we post a pic of our kids but no one knows the ache we feel like we all feel this to be known and to know others we have that it's in us So here's what i'm claiming today in right christian community is an answer that can help alleviate or remedy the loneliness problem in the world today like i think there's a problem in the world and I think Jesus has set up a solution to that problem. That's that's what I'm arguing for. So following Jesus in the context of community, when it's done right, um, is the answer to a lot of the questions and problems the world's wrestling with when it comes to the growing epidemic of loneliness. And the answer is not more apps. It's not better social networks. It's not faster technology or clearer political solutions. Um, the answer is the church. Like there's a, there's an answer to it. Um, a body, a people in the flesh, with a savior to believe in, a family to belong to, and a mission to live for. So in, talk about in community, is having meaningful conversations around a meal where love and care and compassion are experienced and extended, whether that's around the table, uh, sitting on a couch, in a living room, in a kitchen, in a backyard, like we're meant for that. We're meant for that. So what I want to do is I am going to talk about community a bit, um, what it is and what it isn't. So that's kind of going to be the structure. I'm going to say here's what it's not, Here's what it is. Uh, If you don't know, I kind of preached this sermon a few years back. but I don't know if any of you remember or were there, so I'm going to do it again. So, there we go. Uh, First, right, uh, the first thing about community is it's not optional. I'm talking about for Christians, right? It's not optional. It's necessary. we got to have it. Uh, Let's look at the text uh, that Eric did not read, right? 14, right? And when the hour came, he reclined at table, at the table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. So we're going to start just talking about communion a little bit, and then we'll end with communion when we actually come up and receive it. Um, The Last Supper, that's where we get our practice of communion. It's a picture of life with Jesus. You're That life with Jesus. Jesus is serving us, and actually, not not to creep out whoever's going to serve communion later, but they're actually a picture of Jesus extending his grace and life and mercy to you as you come forward to receive it, right? Um, His resurrection is showcased in that. And the word even communion, right, comes from the same word as community. So communion, communicate, uh, community. These words kind of go together. And the call to follow Jesus is a call to be in community. We We can't get around that. So if we're going to participate in the life of Jesus, if we're going to follow him, we do that with other people sitting around the table with us. Like I said earlier, with people at our tables, our living rooms, backyards, front porches, birthday parties, right, hospital rooms, funerals, weddings, it's all of life. Like, we're in that together. We walk together as we pursue Jesus. And when we line up to receive communion, right, we take bread from the same loaf as the person in front of us, right, And we take that bread and we dip it in the juice. The same person behind us is going to dip it in that juice too, all while being as COVID safe as possible. Just to say that, right? But communion is a communal practice of the church pointing to our Savior and also pointing to our community and our family. Like it's not just going up and grabbing a piece of bread, right? Because the church is not a building. It's a body of believers. It's a people filling a place, right? Men, women, young, old, black, white, rich, poor, blue collar, white collar, and everything else, right? It's just all of us coming together to participate in the life of Jesus as the family of God. And being, the, being a Christian is not a solo sport, right? It's not tennis or golf, right? And golf is horrible anyway. But, right, it's more team sport, right? It's more basketball, it's more football. Because the world is tired of being alone, whether they know it or not. Even if they don't know, it, it's killing them, right? It's making us sick. And the church... The body, the family, the community is the answer to that ache, that longing that the world is experiencing. So let's let's participate in it as God's people, right? It's not optional; it is necessary. We got to have it. So that's the first. Not is next is it's not affinity; it's not sameness; it's diversity. And even that word affinity, if you don't understand it, it's more like um, like. So I have a book club I'm a part of. It's not a church thing, but like we gather around this book. That's our affinity is the book. Um, there might be people who they have a community around maybe their kids playing soccer right it's not they have a lot in common but what their affinity is they get together and watch their kids play sports it's not that or it's people who are all of a certain type of subgroup and they hang out that's their community uh that's not what christian community is and some people have said like jason i agree like i want to be a part of community and i'll say and i'm going to say this a bunch of times today well if you're not part of a city group be a part of a city group right that's where we experience community. That's how we're intentional around that. But they might say, but no one's like me in that group. right?" Maybe you've heard that before. Maybe you've said that yourself. But community is not sameness. right? It's not affinity. It's diverse. And that, that's a gift. When I first entered vocational ministry, I went and lived with this empty nester couple. The guy that hired me said, um, hey, I'm paying you hardly nothing, so good luck finding a place. right? But you can come stay with me and my wife. And so I lived in their son's uh, bedroom who had gone off to college. Um they were in their 50s, empty nesters. Uh, I was early 30s, single at the time. Um, not much affinity, right? And he lived in Nebraska. I thought Nebraska had one flashing stoplight in the whole state. That was honestly what I thought, right? And so I just had no concept for what Nebraska was. And um, so I went and lived with that guy. And I would say he taught me so much about following Jesus, partly because he was so different than me. Like, that was a gift, um, Later, uh, I got married, I wasn't living there anymore, of course, but just because he was different, he was a little bit ahead of me, he was older than me, more experienced, he taught me, you know, how to manage my time, he taught me how to pray, helped me with that, taught me how to love my wife, like, the guy just poured into me, because he was different. Now, I had friends of mine that were in the same life stage, and they were an encouragement, Um, they were more like, you know, we were kind of buddies in that, but they didn't teach me as much as a guy in a completely different stage of life than me. Um, Sarah had a similar experience. When she got serious about following Jesus, um, she was in her early 20s, and she had some friends who were in very similar life stages as her who had all just graduated college. None of them were married, so they had extra money and extra time and no kids, right? So they hung out a lot, and they had the money to do it. And, you know, she grew in her faith, but it wasn't until this lady, Julie, came along who was older than her who really was like, Sarah, you're doing this and this and this, and that's not good for your spiritual life. Let's stop doing that, and pushed her. And Sarah would attribute a lot of her spiritual growth to this lady, Julie. Very different than her. And in many of the city groups in this church, we have grandparents and people with babies. We have retirees, we have students, we have people just starting in their profession. Right? All kinds, you know. I think in my own city group, I'm the only person with young kids. And it's great. It's fine. I love that. Um, one of the things I love about my city group is people are not in the same stage as I am. I think we have just about every stage possible in our city group um i said this last time i preached i'll say it again the springers have raised three sons and none of them live with them praise god right i want to learn from that (laughs) they amen that right and that's my goal i have four kids i want to raise them to where they can go out on their own and so sarah and i have had lots of questions you know how'd you guys do this how'd you guys do that Um, and they would say we did this right we we didn't do this right and we've just learned from them it's been a blessing that we're different it's been a blessing that we're different. Another thing, striving as a church, you know, we've strived to be uh, more ethnically diverse. That's something we, we've we wanted to be intentional about. I mean, I love the fact that Eric and I, we're a mixed racial pastor team. I think that's a win for our church. Um, we can learn so much from people. Even um, just in our own pulpit, we had Alejandro preach before, a guy from Venezuela. We had Jameson preach a few months ago. That was good. We did a... Um, We had the City Churches from Iowa came down, was that two weeks ago? Um, And a guy named Francis uh, did a little workshop with that, just taught those guys, who is half Japanese, half white. Like, we see those as wins, right? We don't want it to be just white all the time, because we only get one view. And I would say over 2020, especially with the George Floyd stuff, it was so helpful for me just to talk to people, uh, like, especially my black brothers and sisters in the faith, like. Their perspective was helpful. I learned much more about the issue talking to them than I did other white people, right? Not that other white people had a wrong opinion or perspective, It just they didn't have that opinion or that perspective and it was helpful. Difference and diversity brings strength to our community, right? It's a win when we're different. So it's good, it's a good thing. Community is not sameness, it's not affinity, it's diversity and that difference makes us better. I'll hammer that all day. Like, it makes us better. Also, community is not perfect. It's messy. It's messy. I often hear people talk about, like, the early church, they were just awesome, right? Like, man, the early church, they just had it together. Have you guys ever heard that? Or, like, you hear that little, like, it's kind of implied that the early church was so awesome. But if you read the book of 1 Corinthians, you'll realize early church was a hot mess. I mean, you had people getting drunk um, at potlucks. And Paul's like, listen, guys, when you have your potluck, you shouldn't get Wasted. It's not good. So don't get drunk at the potluck. You had, had to address somebody marrying their stepmom, right? That's just weird today, too, right? Nobody would want to do that. These are the issues the early church is wrestling with, and Paul is writing to them saying, Look, don't do those things, right? They weren't perfect. It was messy. And if you join a city group or you're like, you commit to Christian community, it won't be perfect. I can promise you that. I, I promise you, it will not be perfect. It's a lot like a marriage. And one of the things that I do when I do premarital counseling is I give a test to people. And uh, one of the things the test is looking for is what's called rose-colored glasses. Um, And rose-colored glasses are when people are getting ready to get married and they think, like, you know, it's like the Jerry Maguire, like, you complete me moment. Uh, If people have that perspective going in, it might be a rough marriage, right? Like, they never fight. They like the same type of ice cream, you know, all the longings. In her heart are going to be fulfilled by him. He's going to every night sit on the couch, cuddle, ask about her feelings. You know, like every night it's going to happen. Where he thinks that she likes all the same TV shows as him. And every night she's just going to exceed his wildest imaginations. Okay? This is a warning sign for marriage. All right? They will get married and the longing she has will still be there. Right? The newness is going to wear off. And he's going to realize all his wild imaginations were that. Imaginations right? It's, it's real. And they'll begin to fight and disagree, and it won't be perfect like they thought, and then that's when that thought comes in where they go, maybe I married the wrong person, right? Because they thought the person was going to, like, make everything perfect, and it doesn't make it perfect. So this is true for marriage, and it's true for a Christian community. And here's, here's what's true. It's not whether we fight or not. It's, it's that when we do fight, how do we work through it, okay? Okay. Um, Here's another example of this. I knew a guy uh, in Bible college who was average at best. I'm not trying to be mean. He was average at best. And um, I remember there were a couple girls that liked him, and he was like, eh, eh, And so then he would try to pick, like, the most perfect girl he could find, and the guy was still single because he wanted perfect. And He'd say that, I want a perfect girl. I'm like, you ain't going to find a perfect girl. It's not going to happen. He's still looking. He ain't going to find her, Right. And some people think that's what community should be like, right? The perfect woman, the perfect man, no problems, we agree on everything, we're never challenged, no one gets on my nerves, right? Um, They think like us, vote like us, parent like us, like the same shows as us, same music as us. That's just not real. That does not exist. Community is not like that. It won't work. That won't happen. Um, Think about this. The 12 disciples... Jesus picks two guys. He picks um, Matthew, who's a tax collector for the Romans, and he picks Judas the Zealot, he, not Judas Iscariot. The Ze- He's called a zealot because he could have been characterized as either a hardcore patriot or a terrorist against the Romans. So you have a guy who's collecting taxes for the Romans, and you have a guy that likes to kill Romans. Right? That would be like a dude with like, um, like a MAGA hat, And not just he voted for Trump, but, like, he likes Trump a lot, has the shirt, uh, has the Trump cape. Have you seen this guy? He's out there. Right? That guy. That guy was someone who's, like, in Antifa in the same city group. It could get a little dicey. Right? These are the two guys Jesus picks for his his 12. Right? Politically, they were on total opposite ends of the spectrum. Yet, these dudes follow Jesus together. It's not perfect. It's messy. Uh, Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. In that mess and in that awkwardness, sometimes in that little tension, that's where Jesus begins to sharpen us. Those rough edges get worked away. So we learn patience in our city groups. We learn empathy. We get to see different aspects of following Jesus. Uh, The dullness in our souls gets sharpened by other people. That's why. We can't do that alone. Like We need each other for that. Um, and here's the truth. If you spend enough time with me or Eric, right? eventually one of us will hurt you, will disappoint you, uh, will disagree with you, will cause you pain. It's just going to happen. I, I can promise you that. It will happen. Um, no one's perfect. No one is. No one is. And so here, here's a little test to see if we think that – community should be perfect uh and i've i've been a ministry long enough where i've seen this happen to where someone will be involved in a small group a city group whatever and they'll get hurt And like i said that's bound to happen it will happen if you spend enough time in community with people you're going to get hurt and instead of like addressing it and saying hey we need to talk about what happened they just bounce okay no warning no discussion they just leave because those people are this way right they just, the expectation is so high that they don't engage it, right? Um, and here's what, I'm not saying put up with abusive behavior or treated poorly all the time. That's not what I'm saying. But um, I've had some good, uh, godly, graceful people come to me and say, hey, Jason, when you did that, that really hurt me. Or let me tell you how I perceived what you just did. And, I, and I'm an idiot half the time. I had no idea, right? I just didn't know. And so I was grateful. I was grateful to, for them to actually give me a chance to, like, give my perspective uh, and talk about it. And I've had to do the same thing where I've sat down, you know. I can't tell you how many times Eric and I have had to sit down with each other, whether it's coming from him or me, and say, hey, look, we got to talk about some stuff, right, because we're not perfect. We need each other. Right? And 99% of the time when I've either received that or been on the, the giving end of that or the receiving end of that, the relationship's gotten better. Uh, it does, especially when it's grace-filled people we aren't trying to like catch people, but work through conflict. The conflict actually serves as a way to be closer as a community, right? Because community is messy, it is, um, but it's good. Also, uh, community is isn't an event. It's not an event. It's not a program. It's family, right? Families needed. Families aren't the same. There's differences, like moms, dads, sons, brothers, right? Uncles, sisters. Like it's all over, but it can get messy, right? We all have those family. Meals where are like, oh, that person's here, right? But that's family. Um, family is a group of imperfect people trying to love each other. Um, and here's where we talk about how down is our first uh, value, right? God coming down to us. Well, this is how it impacts in, is that uh, the bond that holds us together is our faith in Jesus. In Jesus, we have the same Father, and because of him, we call each other brothers and sisters. We were strangers and aliens to God. And Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, not only shows us God, but calls us family, right? He brings us in. If you look at the picture of even Jesus' crucifixion, he's taken outside the city, rejected by his own people, exiled as a stranger, but through the cross, he gives us a seat at the family table, right? Like, he's treated as a nobody so that we could be somebody at the table. That's a picture of the gospel. Um, He comes to solve our problem of loneliness and isolation, and gives us a family to belong to, right? What's he say in, uh, I believe it's John I. longer I call you friends now, right? It's, it's this family communal thing. And the church, as we've said numerous times, is not a building but a body. It's not a place. It's a people. It's people we're called to love and encourage and support as a response of Jesus' love and sacrifice for us. Right? He's loved us when we were unlovable, so we get to love people that are unlovable at times. It's, it's our response to that. Uh, the Apostle John says in his writings 12 times, love one another. And, and like, you know, John, first, second, third, like, love one another. Like, like he, he's beating that drum all the time. Hey, church, love each other. Paul says to be devoted to one another in brotherly, family love, to serve one another in love, to be patient and bear one another in love. Like, you see it all through the pages of Scripture. Peter says, love each other deeply from the heart. That's just not faking it, Right? from the heart. Um, And then the way we do that is when we continue to look at the gospel and see what Jesus has done for us. Because there's people that probably get on our nerves and to love them deeply from the heart is a challenge. We need the spirit to do that. And Jesus says, they will know you're my disciples, not by how awesome your theology is, or not by how much you stand up for social issues issues on social media, but how you love each other. Like, love is it, like, that only happens in a context of community. You can't love apart from community. So you can't even follow half the commands if we're not in community. So so the church is a community. It's not optional. It's necessary. Right? It's not a bunch of people who are just like us. It's people who are different than us. Different seasons, different backgrounds, different stories. And that strengthens us as a community. It makes us better. Community is not perfect, right? It is messy. But in that mess, we learn to love and serve and commit ourselves to others who are made in God's image. Like We get to do that. That's like, we get to do that. We don't have to, we get to do that. So in closing, here, here's what i ask us to do. One, if you're not a part of a city group, join one. Um, and that's, there'll be times where you study the Bible together. There'll be times where you surf. There'll be times where you just hang out, right? In um, my city group this past week, we had a trivia game, and it was awesome, and my team won. And so I love my city group even more. Uh, <laughs> a lot of fun. Um, and there are no qualifiers for joining the city group, there's no test to take. There's no, like, you gotta have this much theological knowledge. Uh, I would say you don't even need to be a Christian to join the city group, just be a part of it, right? Uh, the gift you bring is the gift of yourself. Uh, with your doubts and skepticisms and faith and questions, whatever you got, just bring it. Believer, unbeliever, just show up. It's that simple. Because we can't live the Christian life alone, we just can't. Can't do it. The people around us are gifts from Jesus to you, and you are a gift of the church as well. Right? The church is a gift, and we pursue Jesus together in community. So see, so let's embrace in, like right? the concept in. Let's embrace community because we, when we do that, we honor Jesus and we love each other. Amen? So uh, let me pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll go ahead and come up for communion. Jesus, we thank you so much that um, you've given us the gift of the church. Uh, That as we sit in this room, uh, surrounded by all kinds of different people, uh, your spirit's in them, you created them in your image, and they're a gift to us. And may we see them as a gift. May um, we continue to grow in our love for you and each other. Uh, May people look at us as a community of believers and say, man, those people love each other, and they love each other really well. May that love not just be because it's an organic, easy hang, but because we're so impacted by the gospel that we were unlovable, but Jesus loved us. We were enemies, Jesus has made us friends, family. So when we are challenged in the mess of community, we don't just react, but we think about how much you've loved us, and that changes how we love others. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, right, so when you guys are ready, uh, come forward to receive communion. Um, I just ask that you would take some time uh, just to think of, just, I I would honestly just take some time and thank Jesus for, like, someone who has, like, loved you well. Think of a Christian that's loved you well. Praise Jesus for them before you come up. Um, And then we always ask that you would just do an examine of your own heart. Is there any sin in your life? Um, We could all say yes to that. We thank Jesus that he's forgiven us our sin. We own it and we come up and we receive the gift of communion. So come when you're ready.